Among the greatest blessings given to believers in Jesus Christ, among them are rest and peace. Now the rest and peace I'm thinking of aren't primarily physical rest and physical peace, though those exist. Rather, what I'm thinking of is the great spiritual rest and the great spiritual peace believers have through Christ. Through Christ, we know that our sin is forgiven and there is no condemnation for us. Through Christ, we know that we are secure in Christ and no one can snatch us from His hand. Through Christ, we know we have an advocate with the Father when we sin. Through Christ, we know we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and reserved in heaven just for us. Through Christ, we know we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Through Christ, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through Christ, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. Through Christ, we know that we are not alone because Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Through Christ, we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. Through Christ, we have a hope that is so great that the suffering of this life cannot compare to it so much more. The knowledge of who we are in Christ and what we have through Christ, it it gives our soul peace and it leaves it at rest. Now, of course, there are difficult times that come into our life that threaten this peace and rest. But even then, we are reminded that through Christ, we are invited to cast all of our cares upon the Lord. For He cares about us. And we find that accepting this invitation, it restores the peace that passes all understanding and the rest that comes in Christ. The rest and peace we now enjoy, it grows deeper and greater the longer that we follow Jesus. I mean, there is, a, of course, an initial peace that we find when we turn to Christ and we cry out to Him for salvation. But after years and years of following Jesus, what we find is it just gets better and better all of the time. But as great as the rest and peace is and grows in this life, it is a mere taste of what's to come. Once we enter into eternity with Jesus, we receive perfect rest and perfect peace. And in that day, there will not be anything that disturbs our rest or our peace, even in the slightest way. I mean, oh, what glories await us because of Christ. This rest, it is precious. This peace, it is amazing. These are wonderful and precious promises. The future hope of glory with Christ are amazing. But these promises and this hope, these are only for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Scripture describes people apart from Christ in a very different way. Open your Bible to Isaiah 57 and 20 to see what that is. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. It should be page 562 if you have a pew Bible. I'll read verse 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Title of the message this morning is The Cause and Cure of the Troubled Soul. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we rejoice today in the many promises that you have given us. The the rest and the peace, the hope that, that is ours through faith in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for those things. We rest in those things and we are confident, God, that those things are true and they are ours even in this moment. Father, Your Word has something different to say to those who do not know Jesus. Father, it, it declares that there is no rest, that there is no peace apart from Jesus. Father, today as we look at this passage and what it teaches us, 
about the course and the causes of a, of a troubled soul. God, let us take this to heart. Let us let this examine our lives to see, is this me? I mean, does this describe who I am and how I live? And God, if it does, let it bother us. I mean, let it bother us deeply. Lord, let your word always weigh heavily on our hearts and our minds. Make us a people, God, that do tremble at your word. Today, Father, send your Holy Spirit to focus our hearts and minds upon you and your word and what you have for us. Send your Holy Spirit, Father, to open spiritually blind eyes that they could see the truth about their condition. Send your Holy Spirit, Father, to to convict us and prick us where we have strayed and where we need those things. Send your Holy Spirit, God, to plow up the fallow ground of our heart. To a word would sink deep, deep in and bring forth good fruit for your glory. Send your Holy Spirit today and fill me. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want said or what you want done. Oh, this is your time. Use it for your glory. Save souls, change lives. Show yourself mighty today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage, Isaiah wants to get the, the attention of the wicked. Really, he wants to get attention of those who are not living for God by painting a, a very troubling picture. And he starts the picture by calling them wicked, which is a very strong word. The wicked, as Isaiah intends it, are those who have broken God's law, have not received God's pardon. And in a lot of ways, given the context of Isaiah 57, they are actively resisting what God is trying to do in their lives to turn them to him. Now Isaiah says that the wicked are like a troubled sea. Now, he doesn't define the wicked beyond the fact that they're like a troubled sea. So we could say that the wicked that Isaiah describes are like the troubled sea. That it's really all of them. right? It's rich or poor. It's slave or free. Young or old. No matter what their nationality. No matter what anything else. If... If they are far from God and they are resisting His rule and reign in their life, then they are like a troubled sea. And all of this meant, all of this is meant to describe what what I'm calling and what you could call a troubled soul. Because the trouble described in this passage, it, it it is far more spiritual than physical. We'll see that it does refer to their physical life in some ways. But by and large, it is the soul of the wicked that is troubled. It is the soul of the wicked that is like the troubled sea. It is the soul of the wicked that cannot rest. It is the soul of the wicked that has no peace. So what I'm going to do is from this passage, I want to show you today four causes and one cure. For the troubled soul. So cause number one. There is no peace. Scripture says that the the troubled soul is like a sea in turmoil. God takes upon that and says there is no peace for the wicked. The waves Are tossed about in a tempest. Sin always kills peace. That's why there is so much unrest in our nation. It's because sin abounds. It is why there is so much war in our world. It's because sin abounds. It is why so many people 
are disturbed and bothered and troubled and lack peace. Sin does not bring peace into a soul, to a community, to a nation, or into a world. It only troubles everywhere that it goes. It troubles the soul, it troubles the community, it troubles the nation, and it troubles the world. Now the lack of peace among those that Isaiah describes as wicked, that are the troubled souls, is seen in a variety of ways. Some are perpetually unhappy. One of the reasons that the troubled soul lacks peace is they are always unhappy. There's always something wrong in their lives. There's always something in their world that's just not as they think that it ought to be. The troubled soul is is always griping. Always nagging. Always complaining. And always raging about something that is going on in their lives or in the world around them. Now generally speaking, the, the unhappiness is focused on others because nothing that ever happens is really their fault. It's other people that are the cause of all of their unhappiness and all that they experience that's wrong. There's always someone else to blame. Even the anger that they may express towards the issues of the world are to take the focus off of themselves. They are just perpetually unhappy people. Also, you see constant changes in the troubled soul. The idea of a troubled sea, it pictures an ever-moving and a restless sea. The sea is always in motion and it's never really calm. And since the troubled sea lacks peace, the troubled soul lacks peace, they are always in motion, making changes, hoping to find peace in their lives. But the reality is the constant changes add to the trouble in the soul because the changes are constant but not consistent. What I mean is that they they constantly make the changes, but they don't stick with them long enough to see if it will actually do any good. They're unhappy at a job, so they get a new job. But soon become unhappy there, so they get a new job. And they just repeat the cycle over and over again. They're unhappy because of their relationship. So they get out of one relationship and into another, thinking this will bring happiness, this will bring peace. But soon, the trouble in their soul rises to the surface once again, and so they change relationships again. Their lives are just filled with constant changes in an effort to find peace. But because the problems are bigger than the circumstances of their lives, they find no peace in the constant changing. And they just continually make change after change after change. And and ironically enough, the constant changes become a source of the trouble of their soul all on its own. Another sign of a Troubled soul that lacks peace is that they, they make trouble. They're troublemakers. I mean, one of the ways to recognize a troubled soul is that they are constantly stirring up trouble. I, uh, I like social media and I use it pretty regularly. But with social media, there is the, the reality that people often become something different online than they would be in person. And, and you see it in a variety of ways. I, I mentioned in Sunday school that if you read a news article on, on social media, read the comments underneath it, right? So if you go to like Yahoo News and read something about the president, all of those comments under there will reveal a, a troubled soul. right? If you go to, say, Fox News, and you read a con, an article about Nancy Pelosi and look at the comments under there, all of those comments will reveal a troubled soul. But it's seen in a lot of ways different than that. There, there is the effort to, to cause harm and hurt and, and trouble into people's lives. One of the ways that I've seen this recently is through the, the Star Wars fandom. Right? Now, who likes Star Wars? Right? It's good stuff. 
the fandom is largely insane. I mean, they they pick out actors that they don't like in shows. And they hunt them down on social media in every way that they can. And they, they make their lives miserable. Causing one of the directors or one of the producers of the new series to say that those people like that, they need therapy. And they do. But the reality is they are troubled souls that have nothing better to do than go and try to make other people miserable. Proverbs warns us about this. Proverbs says that that perverted hearts plot evil and they constantly stir up trouble. Do you know someone that is a troublemaker? Constantly stirring the pot. That says something about their heart and about their soul. Oh, my friend, if you are a troublemaker. That says something about your heart and your soul as well. Scoundrels create trouble. Their words are a destructive blaze. I mean, you read articles like about the. And it's not just the Star Wars fandom. That's just the one I've seen recently. And you read, why? What is wrong with someone? To want to hurt someone they don't know in such personal, hateful ways. They are troubled souls. And they lack peace. And so they do what they can to steal the peace in others. As the old saying says, hurt people hurt people. Those who have no peace often stir up trouble to steal the peace of others. Uh, another sign of the lack of peace in the troubled soul is the uncontrolled passions. Troubled souls are controlled by their sinful passions. And we'll see that more in a minute, but This can be compared to the raging waves of the sea. They lack peace because their lives are filled with conflicting passions of pride, envy, malice, lust, ambition, and revenge. These things not only leave no peace in the soul, they actually make peace impossible. Now there will come times in a a life of someone with a troubled soul that they will recognize these things are out of control. And so they will work really hard to bring them under control, to restrain their own passions. But restraining isn't subduing. Because there's just no telling what will happen to incite anger. Or how soon the smothered fires of lust will start to burn again. The passions are uncontrolled. There's a guilty conscience. Commentator Albert Barnes says, Nothing more resembles an agitated ocean casting up mire and dirt than a soul agitated by the recollections of past guilt. While there may be a momentary reprieve from the guilty conscience, there is no lasting peace from it. At some point, there will be something that arouses feelings of guilt and their lives will be tossed and tormented and stealing their peace. And there is a fear of judgment. Many people have no peace day or night because they have fear of future judgment. I really think that there are very few people in the world who do not believe that there is something that happens when you die. Surely there are many who believe that when you die, that's it. But, you know, there is something within us that believes that there is a form of justice in the world, right? I mean, even in the afterlife. Because you can find people that really don't believe in God in any way that we would recognize, but they would say people like Hitler are in hell, right? That there's just a reality that someone evil, there is a judgment, that there is a punishment 
that awaits them in the afterlife if they escape it in this life. And the natural result of believing that there may be something for someone really bad is to wonder, how bad do you have to be? I mean, is it reserved only for the Hitlers and Bin Ladens of the world? What about me? Have I, have I been bad enough that that would be something that would happen to me? I think many people live in a way where they're just, they're just not sure what's going to happen to them when they die. And that uncertainty, well, it unsettles them. It steals their peace. And it just reveals the, the trouble that's going on in their soul. And I'm sure there's many more ways that a lack of peace is seen among troubled soul, but this gives you a picture of what's going on. Much, if not all, of the strife and turmoil and conflict in our world flows out of troubled souls who have no peace. So there is no peace, but there is also no power. It says the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Albert Barnes says the Hebrew word is stronger than our translation. It means that there is no possibility of it being at rest. It is unable to be still. The picture that Isaiah wants us to have is that sin overpowers the sinner. The troubled soul is troubled because it cannot be otherwise. They cannot fix what is wrong in their life. Sin makes the sinner weak. The troubled soul does not have the power to overcome sinful habits, sinful desires. The New Testament reveals this to us when it says that there was a time when we were without strength. But Jesus Christ, He died for the ungodly. Now, ungodly as it's used here, it's very similar to wicked in Isaiah. So that we could easily say that troubled souls are without strength. Now, without strength, it pictures being completely unable to, to make a change. Typically, the word was used in the physical world. So imagine if someone has a, a weight that is on them. Laying on their back, there's a great weight that is upon them. They cannot get out from underneath it. The more they struggle, the more they fight, the more that they do to get out of it, all it does is just confirm in their mind they are trapped. They cannot get out of it. They're powerless to get out from underneath the weight. That is the idea that Paul is painting in Romans. The difference is that Paul isn't referring to a, a lack of physical strength, but a lack of spiritual strength. It is spiritual powerlessness that is seen in a number of ways. Right? Troubled souls are, are powerless to understand the things of God. Right? The troubled soul, for instance, would, would hear a gospel account that Jesus died for our sins and He rose again on the third day for our salvation. And, and they would understand the words and the sentences as they were put together, but they could not comprehend how that would apply to them. How does the death of someone thousands of years ago do anything for me right now? They're powerless to comprehend personally their desperate need for Jesus. Troubled souls are powerless to seek God. Now this doesn't mean that a troubled soul will never seek for something to be God. For they do. Troubled souls often look for a God. But their seeking isn't in a way that's going to lead them to God. For instance, a troubled soul may, rather than seek for the God of the Bible that is high and holy and makes demands upon our life, a a troubled soul will seek a God they can mold. They will seek a God that will say, this is okay in your life. And this is okay and I will bless you here. And I'll take care of that there. But don't worry about this. Or a troubled soul may seek God. Come to church. Cry out. 
and then leave no different. They really don't begin to live for God. What they want is they want the guilty conscience to go away. They want God to fix the problem that they're experiencing, but they don't want God. They just want what God might can do for them. They're powerless to seek God. Troubled souls are powerless to please God. There is nothing that a troubled soul can do on their own to please God. Now, part of what that means is in this life they don't please God. But even more significantly, the person who lives as a troubled soul and does not please God here, guess what they will never hear in eternity? Well done, good and faithful servant. She leaves only a sure judgment. Troubled souls are powerless to do good. Why are troubled souls powerless to do these things? Because troubled souls are spiritually dead. There is no spiritual life in them. Troubled souls are as powerless to change anything about their spiritual condition as a dead man is to do anything to change his circumstances. The troubled soul cannot stop the turmoil that comes into his life because of sin. He is helpless. He has lost control. And he cannot gain it back because he lacks that power. Sin always enslaves person who lives in sin is enslaved by sin. Many troubled souls try to change. Change their appearance. Turn over a new leaf. They change their education. Try all kinds of things to change, but all of these ultimately fail because they are powerless to change their lives. Troubled soul cannot change their moral character. For they are spiritually dead and unable. There is also no peace, there is no power, and there is no purity. Isaiah says that the the wicked, the troubled souls are like water, cast up dirt and mire. Really, the idea is that that wicked people do wicked things. Sinful people do sinful things. That's just... Really, it's a part of their character. Ultimately, the troubled soul isn't a sinner because he sins. Ultimately, the troubled soul sins because he is a sinner. I mean, the natural thing for the water to do when it's blowing around like that is to to cause muck and mire to come up. The natural thing for a troubled soul to do is sin. It's just who they are. Scripture teaches that all people apart from Christ are in rebellion. Against God. God is the the sovereign ruler over the universe. But man in his sinful rebellion opposes that rule in his life. Instead, they want to do whatever they want to do. Without considering God at all. They reject his righteous moral standards. Instead, they want to say that, that if there is a God, surely he wouldn't care about this. The world is different now. There is no moral standard that is absolute and for all time. They want to do what they want to do without it being called into question. And this idea is seen all throughout Scripture. None probably better than Psalm chapter 10. It says the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. 
He blesses the greedy, renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. The wicked boast in their heart's desires. The troubled soul boasts in its heart's desire. It's a really powerful statement because it refers to the sinful desires of their heart. They have sinful hearts that desire sinful things. And they brag about those desires and the ways that they fulfill them. Their desires largely would revolve around things like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So their desires would be things like illicit sex, drugs, drunkenness, pornography, gossip, lying, all of those sort of things. It would also include greed and covetous desires that they may have. So the the troubled soul is seen in in kind of what they boast about. They boast about the sinful desires that they have. They, They boast about the ways they're going to fulfill those sinful desires. And they boast about the fact that they have fulfilled them and what they did in fulfilling it. He goes on to say that they they bless the greedy. The idea is that they they praise the greedy. They honor people based on the amount of possessions they have or the size of their bank account rather than on their purity and integrity of life. That sounds pretty familiar in our world today. He says they renounce the Lord. Now those who renounce God, they, they're often those who just deny the existence of God. But it's not always that way. It will also be seen in the ways that they, they renounce or they deny God's authority over their lives. By renouncing God, they are trying to be free from God's commands, from God's judgment, so they can live with peace and however they want to live. In a lot of ways, you could say they're trying to become their own God so that they can say this is what's right and this is what's wrong and this is what I'm going to do. This would be in people who say things like, well, I can't imagine God caring about this despite the fact that Scripture clearly states that God cares about that. It would be seen in the people who might say, well, well, I think just God wants me to be happy. And as long as I'm happy, I think God is okay with it. Well, this is just who I am. If God didn't want me to be this way, He shouldn't have made me this way. All of these things are, are, are said to justify sinful behavior. And really, it's just a way to renounce God. It's a sign, a, a testimony of a troubled soul. David says that the the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. A proud heart produces a stiff knee that doesn't want to bend to anyone, even God. It's shown primarily by those who won't admit their sin and their need for a Savior. In pride they say things like, well I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. I'm basically a a good person. Well, they might claim intelligence is the reason that they renounce and reject God. Well, I just have a scientific mind and I couldn't possibly accept the claims of Scripture without more proof. All of that is the proud heart that will not bend the knee that flows out of a troubled soul. And finally, David says that God is in none of their thoughts. The idea here is that they just live as if there is no God. Or they live as if God is no big deal. They just don't consider God at all. What does God want? doesn't matter. I just don't care. What are God's standards? I just don't care. They just don't consider God 
or His will or His want in, in anything that they do in their lives. Not before making moral choices. Not before making financial choices. Not before making relational choices. Not before making any choice. In part, this is again flows out of pride. They just don't need to seek God. Oh, you need God? That's cute. I hope that works out for you. I don't. I just don't need that in my life. Troubled souls lack purity. Because troubled souls reject God. Ultimately is what it boils down to. And in rejecting God, they set themselves on a course where all that they can ever do is to cast up mire and dirt in their lives. Troubled souls do sinful things. It's just a natural outflow of who they are. They lack purity and it will come out in their lives. And then finally, there is no Jesus. Now, while this passage does not explicitly mention Jesus, I feel it's safe to put Jesus in here. One of the reasons that Isaiah cries out against these people, it is to get them to turn to God. In chapter 58, he is to cry aloud, to spare not, to lift up his voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. The point of that, so that they will see their sin and they will turn to God. That that is the, the point. Why did God describe the wicked like a troubled sea? Why did He say that this is what a troubled soul is like? Is so they would recognize the trouble of their soul, the nature of their character, the problems of their heart, and they would seek Him. And they would turn to Him for help. I mean, that was the point of all of God's prophets. The primary thing a prophet did wasn't tell the future. It was to tell the people, you've sinned. Turn back to God before it's too late. God's great desire is not that the wicked would live like this. It is not that they would only be able to cast up mire and dirt and they would be without peace. It is that they would turn to Him. God says through Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that they would turn to Me and live. That's what God wants. That's what God desires. And in our day, what that means is that the troubled Soul needs to turn to Jesus. The troubled soul is troubled because they don't have Jesus. But if they would turn to Him, there would be a cure for the trouble of their souls. I mean, the, the, Jesus cures the troubled soul. Jesus alone cures the troubled soul. How? Well, Jesus gives peace. Jesus gives us two kinds of peace. There is peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Troubled souls need to to be brought to a place where they are at peace with God. Because their actions and their mindset and their desires have set them at a place of hostility towards God. Colossians 1.21 talks about those apart from Christ living this way. They are the enemies of God. God is the ruler. And God has said this is how it will be. And in treason, the troubled soul, the wicked person says, not for me. You will not rule over me. And they set themselves in opposition and at war with God. But Jesus can bring an end to that and He can make peace between the troubled soul and God. Jesus also gives us His peace. Peace from God. Peace I leave with you. My peace 
I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. <clears throat> Neither let it be afraid. One of the reasons the troubled soul lacks peace is because they are looking for peace in all the wrong places. They're looking to the world for peace. They're looking to a political party. And if they're in power, there'll be peace. And they're looking to a bank account. And if we have enough money, there'll be peace. And they're looking to a relationship. If I just have the right relationship, there'll be peace. Those things can bring a temporary, tenuous peace at best. Only Jesus can bring the kind of peace the troubled soul desperately longs for. Jesus gives peace, but Jesus also gives power. Troubled souls may try to change, but they are not able because they lack the power. But Jesus transforms us and he gives us this peace. The Bible says that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature desires. Jesus doesn't merely forgive our sin, though He does that. Jesus changes us at the core of our being. He refers to it as being born again. Paul refers to it as being regenerated. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in the heart of a believer. And empowers them to have victory over their sin. So the believer in Jesus Christ has no obligation to do what their sinful nature desires. They are always able to resist it and to do what is right. Now that doesn't mean that we aren't tempted. And it doesn't mean that the struggle isn't there. The struggle is there. But we fight from a position of victory rather than a position of weakness. We are not overcome. (coughs) We are overcomers. And then on top of that, we are given more and more grace to help us. The author of Hebrews says, saying that we have a great high priest who has passed from the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Jesus knows what it is to be tempted by sin. He knows what it is to to feel the the pull of those things. He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He was tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane to, to find another route, sort of. But unlike us, Jesus did the right thing. He always did what pleased the Father. And because He always did what is right, He's able to help us in our time of need. He, he sympathizes. He says, I understand the pull of sin. But I can help you to overcome it. In that moment of temptation, when we go to the throne of grace, we always find the help that we need to overcome. Jesus gives peace. Jesus gives power. And then Jesus gives purity. Troubled souls can't help but do sinful things because it is in their nature. And Jesus changes that very nature for us. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, He who glories, let Him glory in the Lord. The moment of conversion, we are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our lives. As we live out our lives, the Spirit of God works within us to to sanctify us, to make us more and more like Jesus, so that we are more pure, not just in outward actions, but in inward desires. Right? I mean, Jesus doesn't just cleanse the, the actions of our life. 
He cleanses our hearts. We have a, a pure heart that will have pure and right desires. That is a part of what He, he does in our life. Jesus can give us the purity that we want, the purity that we desire. I don't know if I can prove this, but I'll tell you what I think. I think most people who live lives in their uncontrolled passions, they know there has to be more. They know this can't be what life is really about. I mean, maybe not all the time. But there are times where they wish to be something different. And I believe this because so many troubled souls who lived in uncontrolled passions try to change their life. If the way I am is really so good and so great and so awesome, why try to turn over a new leaf? Why try to rein it in? Why try to hide it from the public so the public can't see it? Why? Because deep down, there is a recognition. There is more. There has to be more. A longing for more. And that more only comes through Jesus. Jesus does for troubled souls what they cannot do for themselves. Jesus and Jesus alone is the cure for the troubled soul. Now, here is kind of where the rubber meets the road in this. It is one thing to say that Jesus is the cure for the troubled soul. But it is something entirely different to say that this passage describes me. My soul is troubled. And yet this is necessary. We cannot be saved until we understand and accept that, that we personally, not just humanity in general, I, I lack peace. And my life just testifies of it. I lack power. No matter how hard I try, I can't fix what's wrong. I lack purity. I, I, deep in the recesses of my heart, I, I hate who I am. And the reality is, I just don't know Jesus. Without accepting that these truths apply to us personally, we will never see our need for Jesus. And if we don't see our need for Jesus, we will never turn to Jesus. And without intentionally turning to Jesus, we will never be saved by Jesus. We have to let this read our lives and say, I don't like it, but I see all of these things in my life. I would never have said I'm wicked like the troubled sea, but I see it. This has been like a mirror to look into who I am and why I live the way that I live. And if you can come to that, that moment of honesty and see yourself for real, for true, genuinely there, then you are where you need to be. You are humble. You are contrite. And you are ready to call out to Jesus to save you. And He will cure your troubled soul. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. In a minute we're going to take time to pray. 
And right now you may feel a weight to what we've talked about this morning. And if you feel the weight, your first, your first reaction, your first temptation is going to be to shuck it off. To get rid of it. To, to think on something else. But to do anything but think on what we've talked about. But I want to encourage you just for a minute, don't do that. Because when we feel the weight of a passage like this on our lives, that is always a good thing. That weight is Jesus pressing on us. Not to tell us how how sorry we are, not to condemn us, but to bring us to the place where we would see our need for Him. Where we would reach out and take hold of His outstretched hand so that He could save us. And He could cure our troubled soul. If today you recognize that you have a troubled soul and you need Jesus, then I am going to ask you to raise your hand right now as a way of reaching up and saying, Jesus, pull me out of the sea that's troubled. Pull me out of the muck and the mire and save me. And with your hand raised, I want you to cry out to Jesus to save you. Something like, Jesus, my soul is troubled. I lack peace. I lack power. I lack purity. And most of all, Jesus, I lack you. I accept that this is who I am, but it's not who I want to be. I believe that you died. I believe you rose again. Because of that, I ask you to forgive me and save me. I surrender my life right now to you. Come and be my Savior and my Lord. We're going to take a few minutes to pray. If you raised your hand, I want you to spend time Asking Jesus to give you certainty of your salvation. Spirit would testify in your heart that you have been born again. And then I want you to thank Him for what He's done. Of course, if you're here and you have a loved one that is a troubled soul, and you spend this time crying out to them for them.